From the over-the-top mobile studios down in San Antonio, Texas, of all places, uh, I'm George Thomas, and we are on the line with Jamie Van Beek of Washington State, who just finished um, a pretty big event. Jamie, thanks very much for taking the time to chat with us, and tell us what you just did. Thanks, George. I just got done doing the Dirty Kanza XL down in Emporia, Kansas. Now, I love hearing that with XL because I have so many friends who've gone out and done Dirty Kanza, the double century, and are just like, oh my gosh, this was the hardest thing I've ever done. It was amazing. And you actually did that and added 150 miles onto it. <laughs> I did. Last year I did the uh, Dirty Kanza 200 and loved it. It was my first time in Kansas and just loved the people of Emporia and the race and the gravel. And um, it was eighth woman overall last year, first woman to come in that wasn't a pro. And I thought, heck, if a uh, 47-year-old mother of three uh, who has a full-time day job can do this, I can uh, try this Dirty Kanza XL 350. So how did that work? Because, I mean... Dirty Kanza is already, uh, it's not a lottery, but um, they get more entries than they accept. So what happened with the XL? Yeah, with the XL, you had to actually uh, apply. You had to submit a resume and be selected, and that took place back in December. Um, and I found out the f um, 2nd of January that I was one of the 75 that was selected to race the Dirty Kanza XL. Do you know how many of those 75 were able to finish? Um, it started out um, actually with about 80 riders or so, and it finished with 42. Wow, so almost 50%. Yeah. Yeah, it was a tough. It was a tough course. They really made it uh, tough and challenging. And then you threw in the uh, intense heat on the second day. Um, it made it uh, a, a tough workout for sure. So, speaking of working out, you work with uh, Coach Brian Ecker. How did your training change from the two hundred to the three fifty? Um, it changed a lot. There was a lot of things that. Um, I had not done before, one of them being riding my bike 24 hours straight overnight uh, with maybe just a couple of stops for food and, and water. Uh, Brian really showed me how that was done, uh, took me out on some epics where we did ride 24 hours straight. I did three of those with him. The first one I barely survived. I remember just limping home in Bellingham and being totally shattered when I got in my house and uh, crawling into bed thinking, how in the world am I going to add on an additional 150 miles because that was only 200 miles um, but with each one that uh, Brian took me on and, and worked with me I got better and then the last one was about three weeks ago I went to the Metau that I love and uh, Brian had set up a really challenging loop course for me and I started in the afternoon in the heat in Winthrop and basically rode 24 hours straight as if I was doing Dirty Kanza XL to prepare my body and also I was kind of looking at what would work and what would not work and making adjustments to my bike and to my gear that really paid off big time at XL. So these were 24 hour rides that were on gravel. I mean he really went out of his way to design some courses for you. 
He did. Brian Necker is a legend in the ultra world for a reason, and uh, he made a very challenging course for me. There was a lot more elevation than what I saw in Dirty Conza XL, but he tried to mimic the same type of rolling hills, the same type of terrain, um, kind of putting me way out there in the woods all by myself alone so I could really get a sense of what that would feel like if I had a mechanical uh, up in the woods by yourself, unsupported. you got to fix it yourself. <laughs> so it was a great, he set up a great course for me. Sounds like Brian needs to start an event out on some of these Van Beat courses. <laughs> <laughs> he does. we got to get him back into racing. <laughs> so what was it like then as far as your mental uh, preparation for the 200, which you really, I mean, you hadn't done anything like that before. So then going into the 350, was that more intimidating in a way because you knew what you were getting yourself into? I would say yes. I mean, uh, really your your biggest fear carries your greatest amount of growth. And so it was a big fear. And Brian said to me before I said yes to this, I have to really want it. Because um, for me, it's really not about talent. I'm not a talented bike rider, but I'm somebody who loves to ride my bike and I love to put in the effort. And um, so it... it it was different to train, um, and I did have to overcome a lot of fears about myself and limitations about myself and limitations that other people put on you that you don't even know. Um, I remember a couple years ago, somebody said to me that, uh, you're not a climber, <laughs> and I remember thinking, really? How do you know that? <laughs> Are you going to come with me and climb some hills? Um, and so mentally, I really had to... Um, Remember the joy. I, I think I'm fortunate that I really love to ride my bike, and so I just love it out there. And with every hard challenge, I get growth out of, and it changes me as a person. And I try to remember that in the moment and have fun. And I definitely had fun in Dirty Kanza. I love what you said just a few sentences ago about Brian saying you have to really want it because I can't think of how many people have ever said, I can't believe you do this stuff you know, for no money. And I'm always like, money isn't, I wouldn't, you couldn't pay me to do this. That's not enough of a motivator. It's got to be from inside. Yeah, you got really, you got to really want it. Um, it was a lot of crazy training and crazy prep. And I'm thankful that I have a family that supported me. And, um, you know, you miss lots of things. I missed a lot of dinners. I missed some breakfast while I was out there on those 24-hour epics. And, you know, you have to, you know, really, yeah, really wanted. And also for me, I have three girls, and I wanted them to see that as a woman, there's like kind of chapters to your life. There's your marriage, and then you have kids, and then you got your career. And so you kind of always have to put yourself in the back seat. And for me, the biking was about finding myself again and bringing myself back in the driver's seat and kind of figuring out who I am again. I'm a wife, I'm a mother, I'm a teacher, um, but I'm also a woman who loves to ride her bike and uh, go after things. So you get to the race, did you, how did it fit in with the 200? Did you leave earlier? Just tell us kind of the logistics of what went on at the event itself. Yeah, um, I arrived a couple days early to kind of do some recon, and we uh, got to the hotel, and as soon as we got there, there was a tornado warning, um, and there was 
uh, flash flooding, rains, and I was just looking at our hotel room going, oh my gosh, how am I going to do this? Um, so the course was uh, underwater there for a while, um, but they had us start the on the, day, the afternoon before the 200 at 3 o'clock, and I have to say that the turnout was unbelievable. Like, I've never seen anything like it. Like, people really came out to cheer us to cheer us on and to wish us luck. They were lined the streets. They were on the overpasses uh, that we, the bridges that we went under. Um, it, it just was unreal, actually, the amount of support um, that the people of Emporia and the Dirty Kanza riders came out to wish us off, which was pretty fantastic. Were there sag stops along the route, or did you have to carry everything that you needed? Um, it's totally self-support. It you is. can't accept any outside support. You could help each other as racers if, like, somebody needed a tube or some. You know, you could you could su- supply support that way, but you couldn't accept outside support. You had to fix all your own problems out there. There was three um, stops at a gas station where you could pull off and buy Gatorade and and get some candy bars or whatever it is you needed in these small places, and then and then travel on again so tell us about really pedal us through the race with you (laughs) (laughs) well it's i mean really to look over at these people i'm I'm at the start line with with matt um i've got uh will cox an an amazing world-renowned ultra endurance racer and i'm just thinking to myself, what am I doing here? Um, and we started off uh, as a fun little group there for the neutral rollout, and then five miles, it was game on, <laughs> and everybody was um, racing. We got to the gravel, um, and not too soon after the gravel, there was a guy in a mountain bike in aero bars in front of me that reached down to, I don't know what he was doing, but he ended up crashing in front of us, and we all stayed up and kind of, he was okay. Um, but that kind of shook us all up right in the beginning. Um, and then, then it, it, it pretty much broke up into smaller groups. Um, it didn't take long before we were all kind of in groups. I kind of moved, moved my way through groups. I was trying to think, decide, act, um, keep kind of leapfrogging forward. At like mile 50, um, I was with a gentleman that spoke no English. Uh, he was he was hanging on. He was struggling and gave him my wheel. And um, we were together for, gosh, probably about 20 miles. And all of a sudden, we're going up a hill, and my shifting kind of goes crazy. And he yells, stop. And uh, so he yelled it so loudly that I just literally stopped in the middle of this hill. And uh, he saved me because my derailleur had rattled itself loose and was about ready to uh, fall off my bike. So I uh, reached down and tightened that back up. Um, Then I just kind of kept moving through through the groups, um, and uh, lots of people were watching my dots on the screen and sending me texts of inspiration on my bike computer, which was really fun to see. Uh, then we hit the, the night, and I absolutely love night riding. It's one of my favorite things to do, and I just made heyday in that night. The temperature dropped from 90 to 74 at night, and oh, that felt like <laughs> it felt like a nice, cool breeze is what it felt like, 
Um, and there was some tailwinds in the night, so I just really hunkered down in my arrow bars and just went for it and kept leapfrogging my way uh, up to new people that had been dropped off from the group before. Um, I met two gentlemen in the night, Mike and Morgan. Uh, Mike is a military guy. He has an incredible story of why he was at Dirty Conza XL. He's on a single speed. Um, amazing. Um, I met the two of them and rode with them for for, for a while. Um, and then I kind of picked it up, and I was really trying to catch the uh, lead woman. She was about a mile ahead of me, um, so I was working hard, <laughs> working hard. One of the challenging parts at night was they had us do this really crazy descent, and it went kind of in this hole that looked like Mars, um, <laughs> nothing but big river rocks and broken up concrete. Um and there was a large body of water down there that went to about our waist in which we had to carry our bikes over. Um, and that, that was uh, challenging for me. I, I just kept looking at that water. I'm down there by myself going, they don't really want us to go across there, do they? <laughs> As my Garmin is continuing to beep that I'm on course, and yes, I must go through that water. Um, waist so deep. The, yeah, it was deep. It was deep. And lots of snakes, too. And I didn't know if the snakes live in the water, but there were snakes on the ground all night long, and I just kept thinking, oh, my gosh, I hope there's no snakes in this water. So I'm curious, though, with a with that, that could really give you some serious chafing and saddle sore issues. How did, I mean, were you able to wring out your shorts or anything like that? No, I just I just went in it, you know, with, with uh, bike shoes on and everything. Um, it actually felt really good uh, to just kind of get some of that mud uh, off of off of my legs and uh, my hands, and uh, that was that I was kind of covered in a little bit. Um, yeah, you just kind of air dried. <laughs> <laughs> so, what are you eating throughout the the day and the evening? I made a bunch of peanut butter jelly sandwiches and smashed them in my pockets, and um, that's really what I was eating, that and uh, smash packs, which are these kind of like a liquid smoothie uh, drink, or they were kind of in the consistency of like baby food, really, and you just, um, you know, kind of squirt them in your mouth, and uh, so those are the two things I was doing, and then scratch. Uh, I had a camel back on, and then I had three bottles on my bike as well. Just going to ask how you were able to carry enough liquid. Yeah, that's that's how I did it. Was three bottles on the bike and then the Camelback on my on my back, um, which worked. I mean, I I definitely was empty uh, when I would come to the stops for sure and have to refuel. So, what did you have a time schedule? Did you have any goals that you wanted to reach throughout? Um, how did that go? Um, well, I, I really was trying to get as close as I could to the first place um, woman, and I was really holding steady behind her, which I was really pleased about, um, and I really didn't want sunrise to come. I know some people want sunrise to come because they don't like it riding in the night, but I just was wishing it wouldn't come because I knew the heat was going to come with that sunrise. Um, so my goal was really to get as close to her as I could, and then at sunrise I went down a, a big gnarly descent with uh, just big chunks of gravel.
gravel and some of it bounced up and hit my bike and hit my foot and then when I got to the bottom of the hill I went to pedal um, and my front derailleur there was I could not pedal at all my bike was totally locked up so I had to pull over and one of those rocks had hit the front derailleur and totally mangled it so I was stuck in the small chain ring <laughs> um, but I wasn't about to quit um, I did what I could to try and bend it back to the front uh, to the big chain ring but it just wasn't going to happen so I so I just uh, so my goal went from trying to get as close to that first woman to just hold and steady where I was in the small chain ring and just trying to hold on to second place is really what I was trying to do so I love this because you were so competitive throughout the night. Uh, when the sun came up, how much farther did you still have to go? And what was your mindset as far as catching first place? Uh, well, I still had a hundred and some to go. Um, so my mindset was good. I mean, I, I never got mad or said, oh, woe is me. I, <laughs> I mean, I really did want my big chain ring back. <laughs> um, let me tell you, I, I pulled over quite a few times trying to pry it with a multi-tool and rocks and just anything I could to see if I could get it to, you know, bend it back. But it was So you never happen. got the big chain ring back? No, I did it. The I did it the very end, thanks to some uh, amazing gentlemen. Um, but yeah, so my my mindset was really just to uh, my my mantra was you know race ride finish, and I went from race ride finish, and then I went back to race ride finish. Um, I wasn't going to give up. I just really wanted to hold on to that uh, second place uh, female if I could. And did you keep it? Well, I did keep it, but I, help, I I kept it with the help of um, two amazing gentlemen. I about twenty miles from the finish. It was very hot, ninety four degrees. Um, there's no trees or anything out there, and I started to feel really dizzy. I'd been out of water for a while, um, and I remember thinking, "Oh, I've got to pull over here for a second. I'm so dizzy, I can't pedal." Um, next thing I know, I I found myself on the ground. Um, kind of confused um i i have the texting on my garmin and i actually looked over at my bike and and it was my coach saying keep moving and i kept thinking okay i gotta get up tried to get up a few times and my legs just would not let me stand so i thought well i'll just sit there for a while i'm not sure what i thought was going to happen but i was hoping that my brain and my body would come back online um and a few minutes later, Morgan and Mike, who I'd rode with in the middle of the night, pulled up and uh, started asking me some questions, which I thought I was answering fabulously. Uh, I find out later I was mostly just jibber-jabbering <laughs> um, and confused. Um, they gave me a bottle of water, some electrolytes, literally picked me up. Uh, Mike was saying, there's two girls, Jamie, and they're hot on their, hot on our tail. They're right here. And 
And I remember him saying, you got to finish this thing. And me saying, I don't know, I can't even stand, Mike. So they literally picked me up and put me on that bike. And uh, he said to me, you've worked too hard. Um, I'm not going to let you, you know, you're going to finish this. We're going to get you to the finish line. And they did, George. They started me out at eight miles an hour, had me sandwiched in between them. And then we got to nine miles an hour. 10 miles an hour and pretty soon my body and my brain came back online and we were we were flying those last 20 miles to the finish line and a lot of people thought that I was racing those two gentlemen I was not racing those two gentlemen those two gentlemen saved me and were getting me to the finish line um it's still just unbelievable to me that these two guys that wanted to be in the top 10 stopped their race to help me get to the finish line very very humbled by that and not to take away from that or anything but i i just wanted where did you get your big chain ring back (laughs) mike uh is from the military and he gave it a nice big uh uh, tug there um he basically bent the crap out of it and and got me um the big chain ring there's a video clip of the sound of it i i can't tell you how annoying it was to for them to have to ride next to me because it was the chain was still rubbing <laughs> something fierce but at least i had the small chain ring so i felt bad that they had to listen to that sound for 20 miles <laughs> <laughs> so where did you finish overall um i finished 11th overall when i came in with those men it was very important to me that that they were in front of me. They were so gracious. They wanted uh, <laughs> me to go up there, and there's no way. Uh, so Morgan uh, finished, and then Mike finished, and then I got 11th overall and second woman in 26 hours. So they actually got their top 10 because they were 9th and 10th? Yep, they got their top 10. Yeah, that would have been pretty uh, sneaky of you to out-sprint them <laughs> to finish. Yeah, it, it was pretty funny because as people were watching my dots, they were sending me uh, texts on my computer that said, uh, you know, bury them, you got these guys. And I just started giggling and Mike and Morgan, you know, said, what's so funny? And I'm like, well, they're telling me to bury you right now. And, and we all laughed because there was no way I was going to bury them. <laughs> I was hanging on for dear life. So you made some really lifelong friends there. I sure did. Two, yeah, like I said, two amazing guys. Morgan is from Cal- Colorado, and he's a coach. Um, Mike actually didn't. It wasn't accepted into Dirty Conza XL. Uh, he's in the military. Uh, had uh, some family members that were killed last year, um, and the military support group granted him one wish, and his one wish was to do the Dirty Kanza as a single speed. Um, and so that is his story and how he got into Dirty Kanza. Um, and I'll tell you, I've never seen what I saw. To see a single speeder do Dirty Kanza is just unbelievable with one gear. Here I'm complaining that I just have a small chain ring. Um, they have one gear for all those miles. It's just unreal. So, how do you top that next year? You know, it's funny because after surviving all this and and finishing it, um, my first thought was, wow, if I can do this, what else can I do? Um, I don't know what else is out there, but I know that... um, 
I definitely found something that I love. The ultra distance, being in that saddle a long time is something that just I really enjoy. So I'm I'm interested in tour to divide before I to before I turn fifty. Um, I'd like to come back um, and do thirty cons XL next year as well. As a second overall woman and top twenty, are you uh, guaranteed a spot into the XL? Or do you have to go through the process again? I'll have to go through the process again. Um, I did get a very encouraging email uh, from Dirty Konza already. Um, but uh, I would for sure uh, do it again. And how do you recover right now? What what's what are your plans for June and the rest of the summer? Um, mostly I want to I wanna play um, and kind of be off of a training quote plan I've accumulated all of this fitness, so I'd really love to use it to go do some, you know, not races, but just epic, epic rides in the woods. Um, I'm going to do Race Across Oregon, <laughs> for sure. Um, and, you know, just I just want to have fun and, and, uh, and ride my bike. Well, Jamie, congratulations on a fantastic performance out there. And thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us. Thanks, George. From the Over the Top Mobile Studios in San Antonio, Texas, you've been listening to Jamie Van Beek, and I'm George Thomas. Answer me this. How long have you had that mattress? Because it's looking even lumpier than my lockdown love handles. And while those might be more cuddly, a lumpy mattress is doing nothing for your comfort levels or your sleep. So whatever body you're rocking, put it on a Nectar mattress. And right now you can save over $500 on any queen or king bundle. That includes a Nectar mattress, foundation, mattress protector, cooling pillows, and sheet set, as well as our 365-night home trial and a forever warranty. Go to Nectarsleep.com slash save 500 and get hugged.